0: Well, this is a series about builders. And I think you know if you're a new Springer, you understand, of course, I'm not just talking about people who build buildings, although that'd certainly be fine. Uh, this series would help you with that. But it's about, it's about building in a broader sense. My dad loved bargains. I don't think Dad ever paid retail for anything. And if you ever had to pay retail for anything, it just ground on him for weeks. He loved bargains, and he taught me to love bargains. I do a lot of different kinds of series here at New Spring. The kind of series I'm about to do, I always regard as a bargain series. And let me tell you why. I mean, just to back up for a moment, I do some series that are, um, that are gospel-centered. They're Christological. They're, they're a series about Jesus. Uh, the Appointment's an example of that. And I do series that are devotional in nature that help us understand God and who He is and how He relates to us and just what His character is. And I do series that are instructional from, from Scripture. Jonah would be a good example of a series like that. And a lot of series that are practical, just just good stuff to help you with life. How, your family, your relationships, so on and so forth. But every once in a while I'll do a principle series. Now to me, the principles of God are always a bargain. And, and let, me, let me tell you why I say that. A principle is universal truth it's almost like a force. It's beyond a truth. It's a universal force that God has spun into the universe that no matter where you apply it, it will work. You can plug one of God's principles into your family. You can plug it into your career. You can plug it into your, you know, entertainment. You can take a principle of God and plug it in anywhere you want to plug it in. and It's automatically successful. In fact, one of the things I find sort of interesting about this is that you could be here today and not even be a God follower. You, you could be a, a non-theist. And yet if you employ, employed one of God's principles, it would still work. Because God has just spun some universal truths into his world that if you employ them, you do so with success, and if you ignore them, you you do so at your own peril. Uh, Several years ago, I did a series. I got interested in the subject of blessing. You know, what do I need to know about blessing? And I did a series called Bless You about the principles of blessing. Well, this is a principle series. I'm going to share with you the principles of building, whatever it is that you need to build. Some of you are here today, and you need to build a career. This tends to be a little younger audience here at New Spring, and, and many of you are in your teens and twenties and early 30s, and and you want to go past having a job. You're thinking about building a career. Well, then you need to know the principles of building, and this series will help you. Others of you are building relationships. And this may come as a surprise to 50% of our audience, but men, relationships have to be built. They don't just happen or even more so you're, you're here and, and you're building a marriage and they have to be built or it could be that you wanna leave your job and you wanna start a business. We have a lot of entrepreneurs here at New Spring and, and so you're thinking about building a business. Well, wh- whether you're talking about building a business or a career or a marriage are a team a lot of you work within larger groups and you're responsible for building a team I think that's one of the greatest challenges of life is building a team how do you find the right people how do you get them in the right seat on the right bus how do you put people in position to win if you're building a team these principles you can plug them in and they're going to work they're successful so that's why I'm telling you I think there's a bargain aspect to anytime we do a principal series and of course you know that we're talking about building a church I mean if you're a new springer you know we're radical about New Spring and and we're interested in in building a church now some of you could come from very religious backgrounds like like I come from and you could say well wait a minute mark I don't know that people build a church Uh, Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church It's Jesus who builds churches well I would remind you he left town right after he said that (laughs) and yeah he builds churches okay with your hands and your feet and your voice he builds churches by using you and me. The book of 1 Corinthians is real clear on that. In fact, when we stand before God, if you're a Christ follower, God's going to evaluate us based on how we built his church. So if you're a New Springer, it's New Spring. If you're not New Springer, it's the church that you're part of. So all these things that we're talking about, are, are, are whatever is you, you're going to build, these principles are universal. <laughs> like I said a moment ago, even if you're building a building, if you're building a material building, these principles are still going to be helpful for you. So let's start today. Where do we start? There are three kinds of people in our world. I don't know if there are three kinds in this room. I, I tend to think there are only two kinds here, but there are three kinds of people in the world. There are wreckers, they are occupiers, and they are builders. Now let's start with wreckers, and like I said a moment ago, I don't think we have any wreckers at New Spring, and honestly, I'm not just blowing sunshine at you or trying to kiss up to a church that I love very much. I'm saying that for a reason. New Spring is not the kind of church that wreckers attend. And, and here's why. As you know, it's not easy to attend New Spring. You get in traffic jams getting in, traffic jams getting out, you're in lines checking your kids in, lines get the coffee shop and then you're struggling to find a seat. And, and so honestly, I just don't think New Spring is the kind of church that Wreckers would attend because Wreckers are all about themselves. And if you're about your own personal comfort, I doubt real seriously that you would pick New Spring for a church. I think you, most of you guys are builders and so we'll talk about that in a few moments. Um, There's another reason why I don't think records would pick New Spring for a church. Here at New Spring, we don't get into political stuff very much. We don't have, we don't have, we have no star here but Jesus. I try to be real honest with you about my own personal struggles. I tell you about how I struggle with anxiety, and I I deal with ADD, and I share with you my own battles so that you will understand I'm not a celebrity here. The only celebrity in this place is Jesus Christ. The only star here is him. And and we're not here to lift up people. We don't even clap for performance at New Spring. We clap for service. It takes us 800 volunteers to pull off a weekend. That's what we clap for. In in one of the earlier services, I was talking to a lady that was dressed real beautifully. She had a real pretty color of blue on, and and I was saying, that's a beautiful color, and people are always kidding me, because you know how everything is my favorite. And so they were asking me, is that your favorite color? And I looked over and there was a Newspringer who was wearing a lanyard with a cord around the lanyard. And I pointed to the color of the cord. I said, that's my favorite color right there. And Lord knows I'm so thankful for all of you who volunteer at Newspring. And see, that's just the thing about our personality. It's just, it's just our DNA around here. I, I don't think, it, if you're a wrecker, I just don't think you pick Newspring. There, there are too many other churches. Where you can get a high profile or you can get lifted up in pride or it's easy to go or you know you'll get a lot of attention because you give money new springs is not that kind of church so i don't think records go there go here but i do say this i want to talk about records for just a moment because whether you're an occupier or a builder chances are you have to deal with a few wreckers. so let's talk about them well what's a wrecker and a wrecker is simply what he sounds like he's somebody who who tears things apart a record can be in a healthy relationship and tear it down. A healthy can be in a, good, a healthy. A record can be in a healthy marriage, a marriage with the most wonderful woman in the world. and He can tear it apart, or she can tear down a marriage with the greatest guy in the world. You know what a person can be in a great company with a great job and still tear the tear the tear the chemistry of that of that workplace down. We talked about teams a few moments ago. How many of you are in management and you know that you can have ten good people on a team and have one record and that skunk at the picnic can change the whole chemistry of that team. Am I right? I I used to have a good friend. He's in heaven now. I had a friend that started a Christian university, a large Christian university. He told me, he said, we can have 10,000 winners here on the first day of class and six losers. And by 6 o'clock tonight, all the six losers will find each other. And all of you in management know that's true. A wrecker is just somebody who tears things apart. And, And let's take a few moments. We won't spend much time there because we want to get to talking about builders today. But what causes a wrecker to be a wrecker? Well, we've already, we've already talked about self. If you've ever known a wrecker who wrecks in anger, anybody know someone like that? Somebody who tears relationships, situations up in anger? You're dealing with somebody who's a wrecker because of self. Always remember this, anger is never a primary emotion. Anger is always a secondary emotion. People talk about anger management. If you don't manage, the, if you don't manage what's leading to the anger, You won't deal with the anger. So a lot of people are wreckers because they're all about self. It's all about what they want. They don't feel like they get what they should have in life. And so they become wreckers. I wouldn't have thought about this one if it weren't for the Bible. But the Bible gives us a second reason why people can be wreckers. In Proverbs 14 verse 1 the Bible says a wise woman builds her house. The Hebrew word there means her family. A wise woman builds her house. But a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Now, uh, the full word foolish there means a silly person. It means somebody doesn't think very much. It's, here's the best way I can think of describing silly. Do you ever know anybody, it's like they never think a step ahead. They just always do what they feel like doing. They don't think a day, they don't think a day in the future. They don't think about what, what they're doing today is going to affect relationships later. That's what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about a silly woman or a silly man. Now, the reason why I find that significant is this, New Spring. Evidently, she tears her house down, but she doesn't know it. Have you ever meet somebody who tears up things, tears up relationships, tears up business, and they don't even know they're doing it? In fact, they're always surprised when they blow something up. And if you're standing close by enough, they may think it's your fault. So that's the second reason why people are wreckers. There's a third and darker reason, and you probably wouldn't even know this unless you're either a wrecker or a builder. If you're a builder, it could be that you've dealt with this many times with wreckers. And that is that some people are wreckers because they resent builders. They, they, maybe it's because builders show them up. Anybody ever work? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are builders? I mean, it's like whatever you do, you got to make it better. That's what a builder is. We'll get to that in just a moment. But how many of you have encountered somebody and you think, why does she hate me? What did I ever do to her? What did I ever do to him? Well, the problem is you're a builder. And it shows her up. It shows him up. There's, a, there's another reason or another aspect to that darker reason. When I was growing up in Texas, I grew up in a redneck part of the state. And um, there was an expression I used to use. I don't hear it much in Kansas anymore. And since it's slang, is probably good that I don't hear it. But people would talk about, you know, guys who would tear stuff up. And, and they would just say this, they would say this, you just tear stuff up for the hell of it. You ever hear anybody say, that? you just, just tear it up for the hell of it? Well, always, I don't like to hear people use hell as slang, because hell is a serious subject. But you know what? They were closer to the truth than they realized. Because the ultimate builder is God. The ultimate, the ultimate creator is God. See, here's the thing. If you're building a business, what you're doing is you're working out what God worked into you. If you're building a marriage, you're working out what God built into you. If you're building anything in this world, it is because God has created you in his image and you have a desire to be creative as God is creative. On the other hand, Satan never has created anything. He's not innovative. He doesn't know how to create. All he knows how to do is to wreck. Think about this. I believe we're in the last days and the Bible teaches that somebody is coming called antichrist who will be Satan's leader. Now listen, think about this. When he picks a leader, he does a cheap, counterfeit imitation of the real Christ. He just doesn't build anything. His goal is to tear down what God has built. From the Garden of Eden to your life and my life, God has built so much into you, but what does he do? He tries to tear you down. Your your marriage, your relationship is very precious. What does Satan do? He tries to tear it down. Satan is the ultimate wrecker because he resents God. Jesus would make this really clear in John 10.10. He said, the thief, that's the word for Satan, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, and one translation says that you might have life and that you might have it to the max. God is the ultimate builder. You know, I did a series several years ago called How Life Works, and it was based on math signs. And the first sign was a plus sign. I said, God always adds. Think about this. When Jesus died, he died on a plus sign. God always adds. Satan always subtracts. And the reason he does is he resents God as a builder. So let me just stop with that. That's enough time on records because, like I said, I don't think we have any here today. But in case somebody walked in and you would just say, Mark, to be honest with you, I've blown up some relationships. I've blown up some situations in life. I've had some attitude. Good news, you don't have to stay that way. I'm I'm sharing with you the heart of a builder today. You can leap straight into being a builder if you'll do what we're going to talk about. There are wreckers, and then there are occupiers. Little disclaimer here. In a sense, we're all occupiers. Even if you're a builder, nobody can build everything in life. So even if you're a builder, you still occupy what someone else has built. And all of us occupy the world that God has built. So I guess in one sense, of the term we're all occupiers. Well, let's drill down and make this a workable definition. When I talk about occupiers, I'm talking about people who only occupy what others build. They don't build anything. They don't tear anything down. Well, they just occupy. They just use. And I don't mean that as a, in a negative sense. They just use. If they're in a relationship, they just use that relationship. And it's not, I don't mean that they don't ever add, but they always expect a quid pro quo. You ever read anybody like that? They don't really build a relationship. They may invest a little bit, but as long as they're getting back exactly what they invest in it, you're dealing with an occupier. There are people who occupy marriages. They enjoy their marriage. And they they may appreciate their wife, or appreciate their husband, but they just occupy. They don't bill. And there are people who occupy jobs. I'll tell you an expression that gets under my skin, but it always identifies an occupier. In In our culture, with our economy being so bad since 2007, and jobs being as scarce as they have been, I run into people every once in a while who will say to me, well, it's just a job. And oftentimes, those people have very fine jobs. But you you realize when you listen to somebody who says it's just a job, you're dealing with an occupier, somebody who just occupies, somebody who just uses. They don't think about their job as an opportunity to build. You know, this is the weird thing. We'll talk about builders in just a few moments. A builder can work for minimum wage, and a builder will go into that situation and say, what can I do to make it better? But not an occupier. Occupier can be a partner in a law firm and just occupy. A partner can be, you know, uh, top executive in a company and just, well, it's just a job. Occupiers just use. You know, it's strange to me. Wreckers and builders both have agendas. If you're a wrecker, you have an agenda. You want to tear something down. If you're a builder, you got an agenda. Occupiers don't have any agenda. They just want to be comfortable. If you'll excuse, uh, they just have one part of their anatomy they're most concerned about. Occupiers won't be comfortable. This won't be comfortable. Now, I, I know, because there's a part of me that could say, well, that sounds pretty good. But, guys, listen to me. Now, I think it's important for us to talk about this. I think in America, we have a whole generation of occupiers. You know, my dad and grandfather's generation, they were the great generation. They went through the Depression and World War II. That was a generation that knew how to be pioneers and you go back in, 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 in even more distant past and there were people who settled this part of the country and others who, who fought to end slavery. I mean, these were, this was a generation of builders, but I'm afraid today our generation is a generation of occupiers. How can I be comfortable? Well, somebody could say, well, Mark, that's, <laughs> you sum me up, that's me. But before you live the life of an occupier, let me tell you a couple of problems with that life, the two main problems. The first problem is decline and slippage. I don't know what the nicest home in Wichita is, but I know in Wichita it would be several million dollars. You know what, you can move into the nicest home in Wichita, and if you don't continue to build and keep up that house, it won't be long before it's not the nicest house in Wichita anymore. It'll go down you can marry the greatest woman in the world but if you don't continue to build into that marriage and build into that relationship it'll begin to slip and decline if all you do is occupy it'll go down hey how many of you a lot of you are in the corporate world how many of you know somebody who was an entrepreneur built an extraordinarily successful business but somewhere along the line he decided not to have a plan of succession he still keeps the title of chief executive officer or chairman of the board but he's decided that his life now is going to be about fishing golf jetting around the world and the company starts to decline because he's occupying so the first problem with an occupier is slippage and decline. But here's the second problem. I can't tell you how many times I run into people that are my age, and they don't know why they're here. Guys, listen to me. You can make a ton of money. You can make a pot of money. But you turn around someday, and you try to explain to somebody what you're about, and all you can point to is a house, and a boat, and a car, and a plane, in a condo. If you have to point around to that and say that's what I'm about then your life will have been a waste. W-A-S-T-E. And we have a whole generation of Americans who are just occupying. And they're going to wake up one day and they're not going to know why they lived. There are wreckers and occupiers and then there are builders. Builders are a special class of people. And I wish somebody would, would put this in stone. I start to say, get a tattoo, but then parents would write me, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. I wish you would remember this line. Builders are not builders by accident. You don't build by accident. You can wreck by accident. You can certainly <laughs> occupy by accident, but you can't build by accident. Builders are a special class of people. And so, with this talk today, before we even get into the major principles of building, I just want to talk about the heart of a builder because I think builders have different gear work on the inside. You know what's funny about this? We have a lot of builders at New Spring. Among the six, seven thousand people who attend here, we have a ton of builders. I know, I know a lot of you. You built businesses, you built families, you built corporations, you built practices. You're builders in so many ways. You know what's interesting about that? I think a lot of you are builders, and you don't know why you're a builder. You're not even sure what makes you tick. You just know that's who you are. It doesn't matter. I can plug you in any place. You can, you can be plugged in at the head of a company. You can be plugged in in a minimum wage job, and you can't stop yourself. You're going to look at that, and you're going to say, what can I do to improve this? It's just who you are. And, and I wonder how many of you have ever stopped to think about what it is that makes you tick. See, I think there's a, there's a construct, and I've been st- we're about to study the book of Nehemiah. I've never taught through Nehemiah in all my years. And we're going to do that in the next few weeks. I've been studying the book of Nehemiah. I've been looking at builders in my life. And I have figured out that there's a progressive construct in the heart of every builder. And this is the heart of a builder. Now work through these four statements with me. If you're a builder, they're going to resonate. In fact, they'll start resonating by the time I get especially to the second one. Here's the first one. A builder will say, I'm here for a purpose. Number two, I need to leave things better than I found them. Am I right, builders? That's what's in you. You can't help yourself. I'm here for a purpose. I gotta leave things better than I found them. Number three, if I'm gonna leave things better than I found them, I've gotta add to the landscape. And number four, if I truly add to the landscape, and I'm gonna stop right now because, see, here's the thing. Uh, there are people who build, but they build monuments to themselves. That's not real building. I knew about—I knew a guy who's a multimillionaire. He decided he wanted to lead a pastor a church, so he just built a church. Nice building. Nobody ever showed up. Kind of cheesy. I think they turned it into a warehouse. So I'm not talking about that kind of building. Here's the thing: the fourth statement is, if I'm going to truly add to the landscape, I have to serve needs. Now that's true whether you're a committed God follower or if you don't even know God, but you're a builder. I know people who, and I'm not talking about somebody who builds a business that has a day in the sun. I'm talking about people who build businesses that last or build things that last. Anybody who ever builds something successfully that lasts is always going to ask herself, if I am going to build something, it's how is it going to serve needs? If it doesn't serve needs, it isn't going to really make a change in the landscape, and it's not going to have staying power. So let me go through that one more time just in case you missed it. Number one, I'm here for a purpose. I need to leave things better than I found them. If I'm going to do that, I've got to change the landscape. And to truly change the landscape, I have to find some way to serve needs. That's the heart of a builder. If you have a Bible with you, or if you have a Bible app on an electronic device, let's open the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you have a Bible... And I didn't bring one out with me on this for this particular service. But if you have a Bible with you, Nehemiah is going to occur in the early middle of the Old Testament. But there's something you need to know about the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. It's not in chronological order. The books of the Old Testament are grouped by theme. First five books are in chronological order. They're the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then there are the books of history, Joshua through Esther. That's where Nehemiah is toward the end of that section. And then there are books of poetry, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then there are the books of prophecy, Isaiah through Malachi. So when you look at the Old Testament, it's not in chronological order. And I'll tell you that for a reason. The story of Nehemiah is the last history of the Old Testament. In fact, after Nehemiah comes 400 years of silence, and after the 400 years of silence come John the Baptist and Jesus. So Nehemiah is the last history in the Old Testament before Jesus shows up. Now, that being so, if you like to study Bible history, you'll know when the story of Nehemiah occurs. It occurs during the time when the Jews are enslaved, they're, they're captives. I, we tend to be a pretty young audience here. There probably aren't too many of you who are this old. I shouldn't have said old. Now, now, I'm, now I'm going to identify the time. You're not old if you were around in 1948. Okay, let me just say that. <laughs> but in 1948, one of the greatest things happened in history. That hadn't, that hadn't existed for 2500 years Israel became a nation Israel basically lost their sovereignty in 586 B.C. and they were not a nation again until 1948 A.D. so for this story which occurs about 445 B.C. it happens well into the period of captivity now, I'm giving you this history for a reason it'll make sense in just a moment when the Jews were first taken into captivity they were taken by the Babylonians and the Babylonians were fairly harsh and the Babylonians had this idea, we're going to pull people out of their land and bring them to our land and we're going to teach them to be Babylonians. And when you read the book of Daniel, in the early part of the book of Daniel, it's a Babylonian captivity. And so that was their idea. They were pretty rough people. But after a few years, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians and the Persians were pretty humane. In fact, they were, they were very humane as captors because the Persians' idea is let people go back home. Let them go back to their lands. Let them live in their lands. They're accustomed to that culture. Let them go back home. As long as they don't cause trouble, then let's, let's just facilitate that. And the very first Persian king had been on the throne about 100 years before Nehemiah. His name was Cyrus. Cyrus was a great man. And the Jews, even to this day, regard Cyrus as a great leader, even though he was a Gentile king. When Cyrus became king of Persia, he said to the Jews, you can go back home if you want to. And you know what? When the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem, they took all the gold and the silver vessels out of the temple, the things that were dedicated to your God, and they put them in the temples of their idols. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them all back to you. You can have back all the the gold, the silver implements of your temple. And you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to build you a temple. Do you realize that? The temple that was built, it it was as if Cyrus just wrote a check and said, go back and build the temple. What an extraordinary leader. You know, what's interesting. Isaiah called him by name 200 years before he was born. I have no doubt in my mind that Daniel, when he was working for Cyrus, said, see her? See here, sir, you're in the Bible. Here you are. 200 years ago, your name is in the Bible. And that's just how the word of God works. Now, this is where it's going to start making sense and being salient to our talk. When Cyrus told them that they could rebuild the temple... They did. But they didn't rebuild the rest of the city of Jerusalem. The rest of the city was rubble. It looked like something, for all of you old guys like me, it looked like something out of Mad Max. It's just decimated, rubble, no walls. I mean, nobody could live in Jerusalem because it wasn't safe. So, <laughs> you think about this. For 100 years, there's a beautiful temple in the middle of the city and no city. Well, I, I think if we started talking about why that happened, it would make sense to us. Because when, when Cyrus said, you know what? You can go home if you want to. The Jewish people living in Persia said, yeah, I just don't know. I want to do that right now. Because after all, I mean, in order to go home, they had to go across 600 miles of desert and go to this decimated city that had been their home. Many of them, they, 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 they had no memory of Jerusalem. They weren't even born when the first captivity happened. And beyond that, there were great jobs in Persia, nice homes, good businesses. And for crying out loud, a sympathetic king. The king at this point, his stepmama was Esther. I mean, if you're a Jewish person, you don't have any problem living in Persia. Then the Jewish government is friendly to, to the Persian government is friendly to Jewish people. Lots, Lots of Jewish people in the government. Yeah, maybe this is the best way of explaining it. For a lot of the Jewish people in Persia, it was a lot like living in America. Very comfortable place. And so when the person saying king said go home, well, they, they were in no hurry to go home. Meet Nehemiah. In chapter 1, during this season of time, we meet a guy named Nehemiah who in verse 11 of chapter 1 says, In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. You now, in our, our Western culture, it would be real easy to read that and think Nehemiah was the king's butler, but it would be so far from the truth. Think about it this way. If you're a Persian king, you rule the world, you got armies and layers of army, you got layers of security. You only have one thing to fear, and that's somebody poisoning you. And so the person who would bring the king, his Diet Dr. Pepper, or whatever he was bringing the king, the most important person in the kingdom, most trusted person in the kingdom. So Nehemiah, he wasn't a butler, he was the king's most trusted advisor. Most scholars think that he was the CFO of Persia. Man, when we're talking about Nehemiah, we're talking about a guy wearing Armani suits, driving a Mercedes with an extreme house in the palace district and lots of money in the bank. It sounds to me like when we meet Nehemiah, he's the last guy we would expect to want to go home. But he has the heart of a builder. In fact, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, this guy, not a prophet, not a religious leader, he's a secular, I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a, what we call a layman today. He's a businessman. He's going to spend the rest of his life rebuilding the walls in the city of Jerusalem, the city that a few years later our Lord Jesus would come to. I have about six minutes. Let's take the first chapter of Nehemiah and let's see if we can figure out what it takes to have the heart of a builder. Verse 1, I was at the fortress of Susa. That means I was at the palace in the capital city. I was in the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my buds, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from a, uh, captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, no, here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you hear this sentence? I know that none of us love to hear it, but what do you do when you hear someone say, things are not going well? Oh, if you're an occupier, it's like, I don't want to hear any more. Things are not going well. And then, you know what, here's the thing. If you're a builder and you hear things are not going well, it's going to be like, okay, tell me what you mean by that. Amplify that. Well, let's read it. The, the, the people there are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah, the deal is there's this beautiful temple in the middle of the city. Nobody can live there. There's no wall, there's no gates, there's no security. And the people are just, they're in terrible shape. Well, Nehemiah could have said, "Well, that's, that's sad. I hate to hear that, you know." Or he could have done the he could have made the American statement. Somebody ought to do something about that. <laughs> that's what we do, isn't it? Somebody should do. There should be a government program to deal with that. Hmm. I mean, here's the thing: you're talking about the CFO of Persia. He's he's living the dream. Easiest thing in the world to do is say, "Not my problem." But look, chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted, and I prayed. I want to talk to people who are Christ followers right now. I know some of us have not gotten to that point yet. We're still exploring. But let me talk to those of you who are committed Christ followers. It's really important, and we're going to talk about this a lot. When your heart is moved to do something, it's really important for you to get down and pray but the second question is, what do you do when you get back on your feet? See, a lot of us are real good at just praying about something, and we we should be better at it. But you know, there's a time to kneel down and pray. There's a time to get up on your feet. And Nehemiah does. Now, let me give you a little background for it. You got to understand. Some of you may work for a boss like this. Persian kings looked at it this way: if you worked for the Persian king, you didn't have any problems. Persian king had problems, you don't have problems. So if you ever go into a Persian king's presence, you gotta be very happy. You gotta be wearing a, put on a happy face. Cause Persian king don't wanna hear about your problems. In fact, if you go into a Persian king's presence and you're unhappy, it could mean your neck. Now the problem with Nehemiah is, Nehemiah is depressed about the fact that the walls of the city are in ruins and he can't get it out of his mind. So he goes in to see the king. Let's pick it up in chapter two, verse one. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick? You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king! How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, Look at this, how can I help you? New Spring, let me talk to you for a minute. This is not Persia. This is not 45, 445 BC, this is 2014 AD, and the king you need to talk to is not the king of Persia, the king you need to talk to is the king of heaven. But here is our problem, a lot of us with the king of heaven. Not many of us, but a few of us are wreckers, and we go in to talk to the king of heaven, and we tell him what we want, the king of heaven says, I don't have anything in common with you. may love you very much, but you're a wrecker, I'm a builder, we don't have anything to talk about. I don't think that's most of our issue, but some of us are occupiers. And when we go talk to God, we talk about all the things that are making us uncomfortable. And it's, God, I want to be comfortable. Give me this, give me this, give me that, give me this. I want this. God, I want you to take this problem away. I want you to deal with this situation. I want to be comfortable. And the king of heaven is saying, sorry, I just don't have a lot of interest in that. But when you're a builder somebody's told you things are not going well, and you... It breaks your heart, and you say, I need to do something about this. And you go talk to the King of Heaven. See, here's the thing you and Him are going to have a lot in common. See, He's a builder, He responds to needs. You're a builder, You respond to needs. You go talk, You have a lot in common to talk about. I promise you this if your heart is to make a change and to do something, if your heart is to build, is to meet needs, You go talk to the Lord about it, and I tell you what, the king of heaven is going to ask you the same question as the king of Persia asked Nehemiah, and that is, how can I help you? Isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to have God ask you that question? What can I do to help you? And let's look at this. And and, and, and with a prayer to heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to build. Send me to build. Now, I'm just going to stop there. Because here's the thing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a He's a builder. I'm here for a purpose. I need to leave things better than I found them. To do that, I got to change the landscape. To truly change the landscape, I got to meet needs. And he went to the king and he said, Send me to build. Not not send somebody else. Not send Hananiah. Send me. Look, I I know I'm CFO of Persia. I know it's going to make a big change in my life. But I want to go so bad to send me to build and it's for another day but the king gave him permission and gave him all the money that he needed and gave him an army to protect him that's what the that's what the king of heaven will do for you if you really want to build he'll he'll whatever the king orders he'll pay for my question for you today is is there something within you that says send me to build if you're a new springer Our church has grown so fast and growing so fast. You realize we have 200 more kids than we had this time last year. And there's 200 more kids. And last weekend we had 75 preschoolers extra to show up. You can look around and think, wow, I see all these people with liners, they must have all the volunteers they need. You realize that there's 75 new preschoolers. That means we need 15 more volunteers yesterday. You know what? Some of us love New Spring very much, but we occupy New Spring. Some of us are parents, and we love Kids World. And it's not there's nothing wrong with occupying. I mean, occupying is a good thing. But have you ever thought about building? Not not. Boy, she needs to get involved. He needs to get involved. Send me to build. If you think a commercial is coming, you're right. <laughs> Uh, Here's the thing, I don't have any problem asking you to bill for the king. I'm not squeamish at all about that. When you came in, you got to talk to us card. This is for New Springers. You got to talk to us card. And the back, gives you an opportunity to volunteer for several different things. If you're interested, you can sign that up. But I'll tell you what I really love. If you're interested in making a huge difference in kids world, we don't have a yellow brick road, but we have a white line out there outside that that hallway that leads to Volunteer Central. And if you'll go there when this service is over, somebody will help you get information They'll even give you a free coffee card you can take back to our coffee shop we're determined you're not gonna lose (laughs) send me to bill send me to bill is there somebody here that you need to say God send me to build my marriage send me God I've given up on these kids these kids are driving me crazy but send me to bill you know a job I I gotta go work with a lot of crazy people but send me to bill I'm not a wrecker. I'm not an occupier. I'm a builder. I was here for a purpose. I got to leave things better than I found them. I need to change the landscape. To truly change the landscape, I got to serve needs. I have the heart of a builder. I'm three minutes into overtime. I'm sorry about that. When you're a builder, you sync up with the greatest builder of all. The greatest builder of all is the carpenter from Bethlehem. Because he came into our world on a mission. I'm so glad that when he saw you and me, he didn't walk away. You know, things are not going well with Mark. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, things are not going well with Mark. He's a sinner, he's on his way to hell. He deserves to go to hell. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't walk away. I'm glad he didn't say, it's not my problem. He could have been glad I was going to hell, but he didn't. He said, I'm here to make a difference. I'm going to leave. God knows I'm going to leave things better with Mark than when I found him. and in order to leave things better he had to change the landscape and to change my landscape this is what it required he had to live the perfect life I couldn't live for 33 years he ran the table and never did one thing wrong and then he took that perfect life and laid it down on a plus sign where he was nailed and suspended between heaven and earth for six hours he paid the price for my sins and the blood that came out of his veins is a price that paid the penalty for what I've done wrong and his perfect life is added to my life and here's the thing this is why I hate religion Religion says jump through hoops. The Bible says know a person. The Bible says invite a person to come into your life. See, that's the thing. I can never be good enough to go to heaven. I can never stop being a sinner. But God did for me what I could not do for myself when the ultimate builder, the carpenter from Bethlehem, came into our world, God and human at the same time, died on the cross for my sins. And here's what the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, a statement that's so simple, it would be like breaking a BB. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, and be saved, or will be saved. I can't be perfect. I know that. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. And I have battles that I can't seem to get victory over, even though I strive. I may not be able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can call. I can ask. Can you ask? Maybe you can't get victory over the things that are breaking your life, but you can ask. You can call. Anybody can do that. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's because the ultimate builder came into our world and died on a plus sign. I'm going to do something right now. I know I'm in overtime, but I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to call, this is not a magic prayer. are not a magic words. It's not some kind of incantation. But these are words that call out to God. And if you're serious and you want to call to God, you can join me in this prayer. And I'll pray it slowly because the important thing is for you to own the meaning. Let's pray. Dear God, I am so broken and I can't fix myself but I believe you love me anyway and I believe your son Jesus came into the world that he was perfect and yet died on the cross as though he were guilty of all my sins I believe the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for my sins and I believe three days later, he arose from the grave, proving that he's God. I turn from my old losing way of life, and I receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I call upon you. I ask you to save me in Jesus' name. Guys, if you prayed that prayer, you can say, I don't know what happened to me. I know we're crowded, but here's something someone I want you to do. Would you take your talk to us, card And just, there's a little place where you can say, I pray with Mark. There's a a guest service right straight back there where I'm pointing, and another one back by the coffee shop. And all you got to do is bring your talk to us card back there. I have a DVD for you, a book I wrote that answers a lot of questions, and a coupon for a new Bible. All you got to do is come back and say, I prayed with Mark. I promise you, nobody will hassle you. We just want to give this to you. Don't forget the white line. See you next week. We're going to talk about planning to build.